Praise God. So this morning, just jumping right in. Again, good morning. Praise the Lord. It's good to be together in His presence and to hear from Him. We're in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24 this morning. Luke 24. And it's uh, kind of kind of a continuation and kind of a con- almost conclusion, if you will, or a second portion of, of the resurrection account. And we'll kind of uh, look at that a little bit in Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 24. And I um, hope you had a great Easter uh, with your family, friends, and, and all, and, and, and enjoyed uh, celebrating the fact that Jesus is alive. Amen. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my Easter, and I'm glad that he was a part of our Easter too. Amen. So, praise the Lord. Luke chapter 24. We know the first 12 verses that tell us about the women coming to the to- excuse me, the tomb, and they end up coming and there is no Jesus there. They find that out. They're told that, that they're looking for someone who's alive among the dead. And, and they go on and they tell others. And then Peter, of course, goes to look and he looks in and, and sees that it's true. There's no Jesus there. And in verse 13, we'll pick up there and we'll read, we'll read quite a few verses, but just follow along um, as I'll be referencing um, this text uh, through the sermon. Verse 13, Luke 24. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. Verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of 
the bread, and that's verse 35 that we finished at. I keep hearing a weird sound. Do you hear that too? Or maybe it's just me. Okay. So we had, we had Easter. We celebrated last week, and, and, uh, and we got together, and, and of course, uh, in the church, and, and whether, whether people uh, celebrate Easter for the right or wrong reasons, and whether it's for Easter eggs or the ham or whatever it is, or maybe it's Jesus, uh, when we're celebrating Jesus, uh, there's so much joy involved in that, knowing that if we are his children and that he's alive, we have that assurance for our own future, Amen. And so we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday and Easter those great things. But here we have an account where there were these women and Peter and some that had gone to the tomb and seen that Jesus was not there in the tomb. And these two are walking, these two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus away uh, from Jerusalem, about seven miles away. They're walking away and they're not the 11 disciples, but they're the broader circle of disciples that followed after Jesus. And one is named Cleopas, and the other is a close friend, and some say he might even be his wife. And they're caught up in a conversation, and they're, 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 they're at a walking pace, they're taking their time, and they're talking about everything that has happened. Passion Week, all the things that went on, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, people praising him, and then he's, he, they heard about the Last Supper and his disciples, and he was betrayed, and then he's on trial, and then, then he gets beat, and then he's hung on the cross, and he dies, and, and now they're just wondering what's happened. They're hearing that Jesus is not in the tomb, but they don't know that for sure uh, for themselves yet. They don't know that. And they're talking about all these things. And, you know, one of the things about this Emmaus Road story in the Bible is that there's a parallel for us. Like there are so many parallels in our life that it's, it's relative to our spiritual journey. And, and we're all on this journey in life and on this road to Emmaus. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Because the truth is, is that we all have our Gethsemanes, don't we? We have those moments. Times when we feel like crying out, Father, please let this cup pass for me. I don't want to drink it. I know you gave it to me. Uh, but, but I can't do it anymore. Please, it's too much. I don't want to do it. Why is everything happening to me that I didn't expect? Why is all this, you fill in the blank, happening to me? Lord, I'm doing things your way, and I want to follow you, and I feel like I'm obedient, and, and I, I, I reference your scripture, and, and I try to be obedient to it, but why is all this happening? Why do I have to go through all this? And then there comes this point at some point, and sometimes it takes a lot longer than it did for Jesus, where we can actually say, but, but God, you know what? I accept it. Not, not my will, but, but your will be done. And hopefully we get to that point in our journey. Sometimes uh, it, it takes us longer than, than, than God probably wants. But we get there, especially if we're his children and we know what our, our purpose and mission is and if the Holy Spirit lives in us. But we have our Gethsemanes where we struggle with doing the right thing and, and going all the way in with what God is calling us to do. And we struggle with that. To the point sometimes where we're anxious and we're doubting and, and, and it's almost as if we're sweating and we're toiling with, with drops of blood as well. It's hard sometimes. We also have our Calvaries. Not that you or me are Jesus is, and we'll go through what Jesus went exactly, but there's a parallel. We all have our Calvaries when, when we feel so alone, not only in the garden, but we feel so alone, and, and we cry out even to God, and we feel like we're so isolated, and everything's going so haywire, and we say, God, why have you forsaken me? We have evidence of this, that in our journey following God, that we can experience this, and we do experience this, and we see that many times in King David's life. He felt like he was running for his life and he was wondering where God was. How about Job? 
How about that guy? Where is God then? Where are you, God? You're crucifying me, and I don't know where you are, God. But if you're there, he had this hope. He had this, this, this faith to believe, and, and he, he trusted in God. It's also possible for us to have a resurrection, not just Calvary experience. In fact, Paul reminds us that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus, in other words, we're born again, we're, we're baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, we're new creations, we're part of the body of Christ, we're born again. We have been baptized also, he says, into his death. And even as Jesus was raised from the death, in Romans chapter 6, he says, we too are raised to walk to a new life, a new way of living. In Jesus, we pass from death to life eternal. We're born again. There's a new life, a new way, a new destination. But it's not even just that it's a spiritual thing, that's a reality, but it's also when it's going to happen in the end, when the saints, the, those who are brothers and sisters, those who are believers in Jesus, will be resurrected in the last day, amen, will be with him forever. Now, if we have our Gethsemanes, if we have these Calvary experiences, and even if we have these resurrection experiences in our, in our life, it's also possible that we can have an Emmaus journey as well. That we will have an Emmaus journey. You know what the Emmaus journey is? It's simply this. We know who Jesus is in our minds. We've seen him act. We've heard him speak. We've seen the great things he's done, the provisions, the guidance. We've come to believe him in our minds, so to speak. We, we, he's an amazing guy. We know who he is. And there's a certain level of trust where we're, we're after him. But then something happens. Something happens, and it's not necessarily that Jesus is crucified, because he's alive, amen, but he's crucified in our mind, or circumstantially, because of things that are going on, we've kind of buried him, or he's been buried because of peer pressure, or different things going on in our lives, and we've, if I could just put it that, we've turned our back on that, and we're walking away wondering, where is God? Why are things not happening the way? I had an expectation that this would be X, Y, and L, and it's X, Y, and M. God, what's going on? And we get frustrated and we're kind of wondering, but wait, didn't he say this? Did, but that's what he did back then. But where is he now? How come he's not here? What's going on? And my life stinks right now and it's, so, it's a struggle and it's tough. And I'm, I'm going through Gethsemane and Calvary and resurrection all at once. And, but I don't know what I'm doing. I'm confused. We can have those moments. If you haven't had that moment, you will have those moments. And a lot of us are having those moments where we're wondering on this Emmaus Road journey, we're, we're going to Emmaus away from Jerusalem where Jesus died and we're wondering what is going on and where our Savior is. And we're traveling down the road of life. Our hopes and dreams are oftentimes broken and shattered. Our prayers seem unanswered. We're trying to deal with everything by ourselves or with our wisdom or with everything we thought that we learned in Scripture and trying to apply it. And still it seems like... Nothing's happening. And then Jesus joins us in the walk. He joins us in the walk. Now, I don't know how many times you've had these experiences. You feel so isolated or alone. And to, to these disciples, here's what it was like. Now, I've had this experience when I was going to Cleveland State University. I shared in the first service as well. I would walk from you know, several blocks to go meet up a friend or whatever in between classes and get lunch, right? So I have my backpack on. I'm walking as thousands of people walking through downtown. You're going, you're walking. And I had this experience happen twice to me. And I'm walking and someone just walks up right next to me and they're walking like locked up with me and they start talking to me. Now, I know it sounds weird. I don't know if you ever, but that actually happened to me. And both times it was because somebody just wanted to talk to me about faith. It was a different faith than my faith, but they wanted to talk to me about faith, 
right? And they start talking. Now listen, I'm on a mission. I have 20 minutes till my next class or whatever, 40 minutes between classes to go and get a bite, get my stuff ready, get back to class and go, I want food. My, my belly's talking to me and my mind is focused on my next class while I'm thinking about pizza. And I'm going, and this person interrupts me, interrupts my train of thought, interrupts my track, even though they're walking with me. And now, it's, if I could call it, it's an interruption. I don't know about you, but do you guys like being interrupted? I mean, not even just conversationally, but just in life. Like you're doing something, and something comes there and breaks it up and just distracts you and gets you off course. We don't like that. We're, they're annoying. They're distractions. They take us away from the more important things of life, whatever they might be in our mind, when, when we're interrupted. You know, I wonder, the first thoughts were of Cleopas when Jesus comes up. And can you imagine, I'm walking to get pizza, and Jesus walks up to me and says, Hey, what are you thinking? I mean, it's kind of creepy, kind of weird, right? If somebody just walks up to you and does that. And here, I don't know, maybe it's cultural, the way they, they were... Maybe it was more acceptable, but we don't have indication they were mad or whatever. But at the same time, to be walking in this intense conversation with your, a good friend of yours, and Jesus comes right in between and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? Well, excuse me, how many of you have had this experience? You're sitting even in the church foyer, or you're sitting in another, some other place, and you're sitting with two, three, four, or five friends, and then there's always that one person that sometimes happens, and I'm sure I've done this, and I'm sure you've done this. And all, you also you jump in, and you're like, hey, Gloria! What are you guys talking about? What's going on? And they're like, oh, shut up. Just get away from me. <laughs> because they're, they're talking about something, and they don't want me to have anything to do with it. They're, they're in that. And here I come, and I, I'm, I'm interrupting. And now they have to enter. Now they got to think about me. they got to entertain me. Look, you've done it. We've done it. Don't, don't you love when that happens? I mean, come on. We've all secretly done that. Maybe sometimes not so secretly. Okay, but we get interrupted. And this is what's happening here. But somehow Jesus comes in, he says that, and they start to tell him, they're like, listen, you're so silly. Don't you know everything that's going on? How could you not know what's going on after all that's happened in Jerusalem? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and you don't know the things that have happened there in these days, verse 18 says? And as the disciples respond to the stranger and fill him in on the current events of the day, it seems that these disciples were, if I could say, they were let down by God. See, they had been counting on Jesus to be the Redeemer, their Redeemer, to be the one who had set them free from the political and social injustice that they were experiencing as a people. They were looking for Jesus to be the magic Messiah, waving his hand and making everything better for these disciples' lives. They had developed high hopes. And what they wanted was, and they even said in verse 19 that he was a prophet who was powerful in deed and in word. He's powerful and they're waiting and expecting him to do something amazing on their behalf. And just a few days prior to this, they saw him die on the cross. Shamefully, horribly die for the sins of the world. Let's pause here for a minute. Aren't we sometimes the same way? I mean, we, we put all our hopes in God for answering some prayer uh, uh, for us. You know, we want that new job. We want employment. We're looking for employment and we pray. We're, we're wanting something for our children, our relationship that might be estranged to get fixed. Or we're waiting for, for God to supply some kind of a, a resource or, or a remedy for an illness that either we are experiencing or somebody we know that's close to us is experiencing. 
Or we're praying to God for a change in our schools for the better, or our nation, or, or for the gospel to go. The things we pray and pray, and we see sometimes just like nothing happens. And, and now it's the, the third day after we've prayed. Or maybe it's the third month after you've asked God, or, or maybe even the third year. And we haven't seen the result that we wanted, or that we expected. Because Jesus is a man who is a prophet who is mighty in word and in deed, and he's not doing nothing. Where is he? And we find ourselves in in disillusion, and and we're disheartened because we didn't think that God was supposed to work that way, and he's nowhere to be found all of a sudden. At least we think so. And the disciples were so caught up in their confusion, and their downcast hearts were so heavy, that they were missing resurrection, literally looking at them right in the face, walking right next to them. I pray that God grants us the wisdom to be open to holy interruptions in our lives. Now, I'm saying holy interruptions because the disciples accepted an interruption on their path. Do you accept an an, an interruption in your life? And I'm going to change a little bit because I don't know if interruption is the right word when I say that. We view it that way sometimes. But in reality, what happened was, was that Jesus intervened in their journey, in their walk. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we can be so caught up in doing things our ways and wanting things our way, that when, even when Jesus walks next to us, we see it as a holy interruption. And we want nothing to do with it. We can't. But these disciples didn't do that. They accepted that, and Jesus intervenes right into their conversation. Remember, they're confused. They're trying to make sense of heads and tails of the prophet Isaiah, of the, prof- the, the, the prophets, even from Genesis, the first words in the book of the law about the Redeemer coming through the fall and, 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 and squashing the serpent's head, right? And bruising his heel. And all these words that were there, trying to make sense of all this. And they can't figure it out. But where is he? He made promises. He did this. It seemed like he was from God. And Jesus is right there. And he intervenes to make sense of it all. And after listening to the shattered dreams and hopes of these two disciples, Jesus becomes the director of the conversation rather than the interrupter. He directs, listen, look at the account. He takes over the conversation. Well, he's Jesus and he's God and he's a mighty prophet, right? And he comes in, he has all the answers, he knows everything. And he, and he intervenes and brings truth and connects everything. And he speaks and he directs that conversation. In verse 25, Jesus begins to address the disciples' dilemma. He's not necessarily soft and gentle. You know, we like, we like that kind of a God and a Jesus, Right? But he comes at them with this, this like forceful rebuke. Look, look, listen to what he says. How foolish you are. Now, I mean, first of all, this guy comes along walking with you on the road, and then he tells, you, he tells me I'm a fool. I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I give credit to these disciples, because I don't know what I would do. But you're so foolish, and you're so slow in heart to believe everything the prophet said. You're talking, I'm paraphrasing and I'm adding, but you're talking about all this, but you're so slow in heart to believe. You're, you keep referencing it and you can't connect the dots and you're just, you're just not grasping it. He's kind of making fun of them, but he's rebuking them, really. Didn't I? He said, he said how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. And he said, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory in verse 25 and 26? And as you look ahead to verse 27, Jesus continues this teachable moment by taking them on a walk through the Old Testament. He challenged them to consider two key words. 
all and necessary. All and necessary. They needed to see all that the prophets had written about and how it was necessary for Christ to suffer. Suffering was the prerequisite to glory. The disciples, with their natural understanding of things, could only, could only see the suffering of Christ as defeat. That's how they saw it. They were, these guys right now were like, wait a minute, they're confused. They think it's all over. They're afraid. They're wondering what the future would be. They couldn't have been further from the truth, for God had triumphed through the sufferings of Christ. Amen? Amen? Like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we sometimes fall short of all that God is challenging us to believe. We fall short of all that God and Christ is challenging us to believe. We're okay with looking at this portion. We're okay with looking at this portion. You know, one of the things that Christians do who really reveals where they're at in their relationship with God and their maturity is that they latch on to certain teachers or Bible teachers and they keep rehearsing the same thing this teacher says over and over and over again. It may be truth. I'm not saying that. But you know what? You need to go here for yourself and not just hear somebody else telling you. And I, and I do stand on that. I'm not saying they're not saying the truth. You need to go here. So you get all of it. You go to a certain person because they appeal to a certain area in your life that is weak. And you keep trying to address that weak area. And it just stays weak and weak and weak. And you've never grown past that weakness because you're not going here and looking at the whole scripture. Jesus went through all of the scripture. He didn't say, I'm just going to read the good things about the, 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 the servant. No, he reminded them about the suffering servant in Isaiah. And what he had to go through. And why it made sense. And why it was necessary. He, rehear- he went over it all and showed them. Go to the word of God. You know what? Like the disciples have said. We, we want the glory of the good life. But are we willing to accept the theme of God's story. Where suffering is a part of our growing intimacy with Christ. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20. And we're familiar with this. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified. Yay! I'm so excited that I'm crucified. I don't think that's what comes to mind. And yet that's the essence and the cost of discipleship of what it means. It means you die. If you haven't died, you're not even really a disciple of Christ. We can argue that and debate that, but that's Jesus' words. If you haven't died, and if you haven't taken up your cross daily, you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we're constantly dying. But I have been, been crucified. I have already been crucified. If you haven't gone through that, you aren't gone and out of the way so Jesus can live in you. It's biblical. It's what, it's what Paul teaches us. Paul says further in Philippians, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Don't we want the power of the resurrection? We want the good stuff. We want to see all the the magnanimous and gigantic, powerful stuff happening and going on. And God does that. And sometimes we see that in our lives. And he says, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Yay. That's even better, right? Becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Philippians 3, chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. Or in Romans, Paul says in chapter 5, we also rejoice in our sufferings. 
Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. Hmm, sounds like suffering is part of what we go through. Sounds like suffering is what Jesus did, and He never asked us to go through something He never Himself went through. Amen? Amen? All this, all this was revealed to them. And they realized who this was. It was because they were open to an interruption or, or, or a holy interruption, an intervention of Jesus on their journey, on their walk. But now we see a second choice that these disciples made on their way from being disheartened to one of wonder and joy. In verse 28 and 29, the disciples not only accept this interruption or this intervention of Jesus, but they make an invitation to Jesus. In verse 28, Jesus acts... The verse actually, it, it, he was going as if he was going to go further, it says. And it appears that if the disciples had not extended him an invitation to stay, he would have probably kept on going into the night, down the road. And the disciples had probably been intrigued and encouraged by all the amazing things that he was saying. Think about that. Reciting everything that went on and, and bringing to light and showing how things connected, reminding them of the words and the prophets and from Moses on, talking about all the things that Jesus had to go through. There was something about that interaction that they didn't want to let go of. You know what that's called? It's called truth. Sometimes the truth is not easy to accept. But when we know, I'm not saying here, when we know that we have encountered truth and the words that are there are truth about our condition, about our destination, about our circumstance, and we, when we, we want more, don't we? It, it, we, we want to go deeper. We want, we want to find out how it ends. When it's truth. And it hits us in our spirit. And Jesus acts. And it baffles me to think that in a split second, these disciples made a decision to create a way for this supernatural spiritual awakening that they would experience at the table. Then it blows my mind even more to think of how we might be missing out on supernatural encounters with Jesus because we quench the nudge, the prompting that inspires us to invite the living Christ into our lives and our circumstances. So often, we know what we need to do. We know that we should stop and invite Jesus. We should constrain Him. Even when we're weary, we're tired, we don't, we're confused, we don't know what's going on. We should still say, Jesus, please come in to my day. Come into my heart right now. Visit with me. Break the bread and let me eat. Feed me. I need you so much, Jesus. But we miss out on those. Because of our circumstances and what we think should happen or we had expectations that don't match up with God's. Had the disciples not asked Jesus to join them for the evening, they would have shortchanged themselves of this gigantic, huge post-resurrection blessing. Yeah, you, you keep going. Well, we'll figure out the rest on our own. We don't really want to hear more. We'll see you some other time. Maybe you'll join us in a week when you surprise us on the road again. No, they didn't let it go. They asked him to come in. Stay with us. I love that verse. They say, stay with us. Another translation says they constrained him. It tells me a couple of things. It tells me, first of all, that Jesus never invades our privacy or just invades us. Now, I understand there, there's some truth to that. When you look at the apostle uh, Paul and Saul, how he got arrested by, by God. 
It was invaded, in a sense. That space was invaded on the Damascus Road, right? So we had those experiences. But you know what? Jesus is looking, and he comes, he offers himself, he makes himself know, and the Holy Spirit touches us, and then we, we realize he's got to come. He's got to, we're drawn because of the Holy Spirit, and we realize, you've got to come, Jesus. There's something going on. You've got to come into my circumstance, into my life. How many of you like telemarketers? We had one hand raised in the first service. I think it was joking, but... I mean, I can't, we, we, we screen them, right? If we don't have the number, we just don't even answer. And, and, and if we see, you know, oh, it's, you know, Bayside Vacations Incorporated, you're like, yep, there's another one, right? And, and half the time you pick it up and it's like this recorded thing, hi, my name is whatever. Because you stayed at a resort of ours, you get a free trip. Wait a minute, I never stayed at a resort in the last 20 years. What are you talking about? And where, where am I going? I, I, you know, it's, it's a joke. But, but these are interruptions that we don't like in our own lives and all these messages and things that come at us and people trying to get our attention. And the last thing I want is that interruption. You know, these disciples finally get home. And Jesus takes a step ready to leave and they stop him. And so he went in because they asked him to stay. He stayed with them. Have you asked Jesus today to come into the home which is your heart, your home, your heart. Have you asked him to do that? The second thing that this tells us is that it doesn't take much to get Jesus to stay. I'll say that again. It doesn't take much to get Jesus to stay. You have to ask him. You know, I think of a verse that just sums it all up. That all who call on the name of the Lord will be Saved. They genuinely, truly, by the Spirit, call to the Lord, they're saved. He doesn't turn away anyone, especially those who are... He doesn't do that. He, he, doesn't, he waits for invitation. He wants to be invited. Revelation 3.20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and they open the door, right, I will come in and eat with them and they with... What, Cohen? And they with me, yeah. That's a verse he just memorized. And they with me. And it's a perfect picture of what happened in. They invite, they happened here. They invite him, he comes in, and listen to this. They go into his home, and Jesus is the one that initiates again. He takes the bread, and he serves them. They come into the home. I, he will come in. Verse 30 says, he gave, it, he gave the bread to them, and then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from this sight. Well, that's not fair. They get to realize who Jesus is, and he disappears because he had more appearing to do other places, right? Surprise interruptions or, or interventions, if you will. And he, he, they realize who he is after they saw in the word of God and after they, their hearts are burning, they come in and Jesus feeds them and they realize he does it. He opens their eyes of their heart to recognize that he's the Messiah, he's the risen Lord. All this time they had been with Jesus looking at him, but they never saw him. And now suddenly they eat together and their eyes are open, they actually see him for who he is. And they said, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Even when the word was going forth, and he's, he's sharing what the word is, the truth of the word, their hearts were burning. It was, their minds are already confused, it's not making sense, but something greater is going on. Their spirit, their heart, something is warming, something is going on, something is moving them and causing them to want to know more and listen. Their hearts burned. I pray that God lets us all experience this burning deep inside of us. 
with the word of God and with prayer that there is something burning and it's, and, it just, and, it's, and it's unquenchable, this fire that's going on inside of us. And there's this heat that's happening and it's causing things to occur and, and, and we're, we're percolating and we're boiling over with just the message of the gospel and the truth that Jesus is alive. See, I believe the greatest plague, and I wrote this down, the greatest plague of the church today is our contentment with mediocrity. Having said that, mediocrity does not start with with this. Mediocrity starts with this. Mediocrity starts with this. Mediocrity starts with this. Each one individually. It doesn't just, it's not the institution. The institution is made up of everything else. It doesn't mean that we're not children of God. But mediocrity is plaguing the church today. A mediocrity where there isn't holiness, there isn't righteousness, there isn't a clear gospel message anymore. And boy, we heard something in Sunday school today that will reveal that, right? About the twisting of scripture. And, and, and it's not even mediocre. It's disgusting. But there's a mediocrity today. And there's a contentment with that. We're content to look and to actually never see in the Spirit. We're content to listen, but we're never hearing. Boy, there's a lot of listening, but there's no true hearing. No true hearing. We're content to be motivated, but we never respond. That's mediocrity, brothers and sisters. But these disciples don't model that for us. We sit, and, so, and because of this, this contentment with mediocrity and just the status quo, we sit by like, and I'm not saying it's everybody, I'm just making a broad statement here, because I think it's the church everywhere, the Christ church everywhere right now. We're bumps on the log, we're walking on the road, we're complaining because we hurt now and then, and we wanted it this way, and it doesn't do it for me because of that or this. And, and we never respond to his touch, because maybe actually we've never been touched. I don't know. How different, as I said, for these followers of Jesus. Do you read, did you, if you read the rest of the story, it's not like that. Because the story ends, as we close, with this. That the disciples' joy in knowing who Jesus is leads to a declaration. It says that they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. It doesn't say they waited till the morning. It doesn't say, well, let's, 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 make, let's see if this makes sense. And they talked for three, four hours, then at four in the morning, yep, it does, let's go. They went at once. They were already miles down the road to Emmaus. They're in this home, and they turn around and go back to Jerusalem to share what they had, has been revealed to them and what they know that Jesus is alive. They could have waited, but they didn't. And when they did, it says that they found the apostles and those who were assembled with them. They rushed to the door to knock on it, anxious to tell their story. Like, hey, we were walking, and Jesus came, then we ate with him, and we realized it was really him. He's alive. But the scripture indicates to us, in chapter 24 of Luke, it says that when the door opens, the apostles beat him to the punch. It says here that the apostles are saying, as they open the door, before Cleopas and the other disciple could say anything, I'm sorry, he says, Jesus is alive. It's really real. He's resurrected. There's, there's, there's nothing we can say except that Jesus was with us. He's the risen king. And it's all true. And it really happened. 
The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. These two are standing there. They're blinking their eyes. And they're saying, yes, we know it's true. He met us on the way. We talked with him. I'm so glad you know it as well. And they were all talking at the same time. This excitement that's brewing there. Everybody is saying, it's true. He's risen. Jesus is alive. Can you picture that scene? We're all traveling on that road to Emmaus. Sometimes our dreams are shattered. Sometimes we laugh or we cry. Jesus said, this is what Jesus says today. I didn't come to take the road away. I didn't come to take it away. I just came to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you until we get home. In the meantime, open the word so that your eyes can be opened and your hearts can be warmed. Invite me in so I can break bread. I can feed you. I can satisfy you. I can sustain you and give you everything you need, not just what you want. And I'll blow away your expectations of what you think I should be. How long has it been since you felt that warming in your heart and in your soul? It's so easy for us to slip into neutral, spiritually speaking, and just allow things to come and go and go with the flow and do whatever the culture wants and do whatever everybody else is doing and and accept whatever the culture says or the world around us says is true. And, and, And Jesus wants our hearts to burn with the truth. It's so easy to go to church or whatever meetings you go to with other believers because it's Sunday morning or Monday night or Tuesday night or one hour or whatever it is but never experience the stirring of God's Spirit in your lives. The warmth of His love. Looking but never seeing, listening but never hearing. It's so easy to do that. These disciples are not content to drink a cup of my favorite tea. You know, my favorite tea is sleepy time tea. The chamomile and a little bit of mint and lemongrass, and it's just so calming, right? It's one of my favorite teas. They weren't content to drink a cup of sleepy time tea and tuck themselves in for the night with Jesus walking down the road and, then, and with this soothing rush of warm fuzzies surging through their bodies because they talked to this, this person telling them all about Jesus. No! This was an awakening to the ignition of their hearts and it moved them to action and bold declaration. This is not just a good feeling, but it's, it's good news, Amen. That Jesus is alive. Good enough to get him back on the road, headed back to Jerusalem late at night, regardless of darkness and whatever else they might encounter on the road. This experience was so real, so life-changing, that their immediate response is to share their joy with fellow believers and then eventually with everyone in the city. My question this morning is, where are you on the Emmaus Road in your journey of life? Walking This walk, where are you at? Are you ready or are you willing to to accept a a holy interruption or intervention in reality in your life? Can you even see that when it happens? Will you invite Jesus to to come in and stay? Not just just for certain segments of the day, but to stay with you. And and then to keep asking him to stay with you. Because this is where the story changes a little bit, and it's a little different for us. With the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives now. That we ask him every day to be close to us. He is in us. But that he is so close that we can actually hear him when he tells us if we go left or right, or we stop or go forward. Will we invite him in? And if you have, and you know who Jesus is, will you declare that you know who he is? That you have seen him? 
that, 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 you, that you are aware and you recognize that he's the son of God who lives forever and rose from the dead? Will we do that? Maybe this morning, you've never asked Jesus to, to come into your heart. You're hearing this, and, and maybe you've been coming for a while, and you heard the Easter message, you heard the resurrection story, and something is happening inside of you, and you're sitting here. Maybe it's just one of you. Maybe it's a few of you. I don't know. But, and you, you realize that some of the stuff is making sense, and you're, you're feeling it. It's more than just your mind, but it's in your spirit. It's in your heart. Can I just ask you to do what these disciples did? Invite Jesus to come into your heart. In other words, submit to his lordship and and his saviorship and ask him to forgive you and ask him to tell you even more. And then he feeds you and he breaks the bread for you, which, again, is a picture of his word, right? That sustains you and, and guides you. And he'll do that. He'll come in. And you'll be a new creation, new creation, a new creature because of your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work. Amen. It's really easy to get Jesus to stay. You have to genuinely ask him to come in and stay. I'm not trying to oversimplify or be nonchalant about it, but that really is how it works. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we're reminded of these two disciples uh, after the resurrection who struggled to make sense out of what had happened. And sometimes we struggle with the things that happen in our lives, even in our journey with you. Father, I pray that when you come alongside of us, we'd recognize you and we wouldn't be distracted or bothered by it, but instead we'd grow through it as we fellowship in your sufferings with all the tough things in life. Father, I pray that we remember that we don't do it alone, that we would invite you to be with us every day. Help us to to constrain you, so to speak, to to ask you every day, even if it's the first 15 minutes of the day or the 15 minutes of the end of the day or whenever it is, that you would be invited to be a part of the processes of the day, Lord. And Father, I pray that as we go today, because we've invited you in and we know who you are, that we would boldly proclaim that, Jesus, you're alive and you're the Savior of the world and you're the only name by which men can be saved, Lord. Help us to declare that boldly and with joy and with compassion in our hearts and on our lips. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Stay on track. Amen.